what happens is there's inevitably, you know, white people have white privilege. And so we have the privilege to feel fatigued by all of this. And so in that fatigue, somebody in power will inevitably start promoting um, the idea that this was just a couple of bad apples. It's not the system. And if that, if we're too fatigued, we might go, yeah, you know what? I'm sick of all of this. Uh, white people get killed by cops too, blah, blah, blah. And it, now I'm hoping this won't happen. I'm hoping it won't go that way. It just seems to always go that way. But maybe this is the time when it doesn't. Aloha, everybody. Welcome to Our Undoing Radio. I am your host, Jeremy Vaney. And this week, I have the good fortune of being joined by an old high school friend, Kristen, and her husband, Marvin. Uh, Kristen Speller is a musician. She's always, I've always known her as, as a, a musician in some sense. I mean, I think we were in chorus together, right? <laughs> Does that count? I mean... I think I was lip syncing most of the time, but uh, turns out she was the real deal. And in fact, um, recently she won the Global Peace Song Award for Best Pop Rock Song for uh, her single Phoenix Rising Up. You can check out her, uh, well, that song and a whole bunch of her music at her website, which is kristenspeller.com, K R I S T E N S P. E-L-L-E-R.com, Kristenspeller.com. Her husband, Marvin Speller, is a music producer. He's also a life coach, and the two of them together, unbeknownst to me, they, they bring it up during the show, and then we get into it a little bit, also own a uh, an au natural organic makeup company called Double Down Cosmetics. Non-GMO, organic, 100% gluten-free, cruelty-free skincare and cosmetics. You can learn about that at DoubleDownCosmetics.com. I bring all of this up because I said to them to please give me your bio um, if you would like me to uh, promote anything or introduce you in a certain way. And I said it a few times. They never got back to me with it, which I think is their way of saying they really just want this to be about what the show is about. And for that, I thank them. And now I am promoting them <laughs> because I do want people to know about what you two are, are up to. Um, Kristen actually uh, was the one who inspired me. I haven't told her this, but she inspired me to do the George Floyd special uh, last season because she'd put a call out on Twitter saying she wanted to know where her friends stood with um, the George Floyd death. You know, why aren't people speaking out? Or why are they speaking out in superficial ways? And uh, I thought, well, I was planning on doing something, but I'd already started recording episodes for this season. And so I knew it wouldn't be, you know, at that point, it wouldn't be for months that I would be saying anything. It just doesn't make any sense to hold off that long. So I, she inspired me to do that George Floyd special. I, I really wanted to um, let her know and let anyone else know who might be thinking like, why, you know, where are the, where are the voices speaking out about this? That, well, here's one. Um, but it also got me to thinking, 
especially because she's a musician and here she is so vocal about this. Where are the musicians on this? Uh, they led the way in the sixties, right? In the seventies, what happened to all the voices? And, and even if you say like, well, the music scene is so corporate now, it's been taken over by corporations and shallow talent and that sort of thing. Okay, great. But then where are the voices from the sixties? Uh, Where's anyone? It's crickets. We're in the midst of of great change and crickets. Yet, you know, the COVID virus uh, has people doing, you know, fundraisers and charity songs and things like this. George Floyd, nothing. I mean, maybe by the time this comes out, there will have been something. But the response time is incredible to me. It's like, you know... As soon as you heard about famine in Africa, Quincy Jones slapped together We Are the World in a Night. George Floyd, we just, just can't seem to just can't seem to get it together. And I and I want to know why. And maybe they know since they're in the industry. So thank you, Kristen, for inspiring me to do that episode, and thank you and Marvin for doing this episode. I appreciate you both. And I think you will appreciate them too. Without further ado, let's unravel the mystery of where all the musicians have gone. Without further ado, our undoing audience, please welcome to the program, uh, Kristen Speller and Marvin Speller. Thank you both for doing this. I think this is going to be a fantastic uh, little bit of an episode. Thanks for being here, you guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. So, um, I... I Christian, you've been sort of, um, I don't know if outspoken is the right term. I mean, you've, you've been um, upfront and honest with your feelings about what's been going on around George Floyd and racism and police brutality and all of it on Twitter as of late. And it actually got me to thinking about this uh, because you're a musician. And um, I remember with 9-11, after 9-11 happened, pretty much... Nobody questioned anything. Now, whatever you think about 9-11, it isn't really the point in terms of like conspiracy or no, it really was what it was. The point is nobody said anything. And I remember like the 60s, (laughs) uh, musicians were like at the forefront of um, speaking out about big changes. Uh, But we couldn't even question like going to war in Iraq, for instance, um, and now here we are with George Floyd, and I, is it the same thing? I mean, where where are the musicians not just saying things on Twitter, but with like protest albums and things like that? Do you think that that the scene has changed, or am I just am I completely wrong about that? No, you actually are one hundred percent right. This is something that I've challenged. Uh, a lot of independent musicians who claim that they're conscious musicians, uh, I've challenged them to find out where where they've been. Um, and they have not been vocal, not just through musicality, but they just have not been verbal. Uh, and about four weeks ago, I challenged them, um, about 40 musicians asking, where are you in this fight? Because you call yourself a conscious creator and we're not seeing anything on your end. It's very disturbing to me as a black woman and a black musician in uh, this circle 
uh, and my husband is also a producer in this circle. And again, you're 100% on point. And it's not just the independent community, but where are we? And this is a question that a lot of us, not just um, in and outside of the recording academy are asking, but people are just asking in general. I, I think, and, and truth be told, I just truly believe that because it, do, it because it is the black community that's affected, that's why they're silent. If it had anything to do with, um, you know, Notre Dame or anything else, things would be more vocalized, but we're not seeing that in a plethora of genres. I mean, you're not seeing that in rock, you're not seeing that in new age, you're not seeing that in hip hop as of yet. Um, you know, Beyonce came out, you know, with her song Black Parade, but that's the only thing that we've heard, which is truly unfortunate. You know, um, that's a great point. But if you think about society, and, and, and honey, it was great what you said, but, you know, when I think about society, society is constantly steering people into uh, several streams of thought. And that's very, very problematic. You don't, you have less free thinkers now. So every day it's left, it's the right. It's, it's, it's never, if you have like even a, a central views on things, People want to come after you and say, no, how come we don't think this way? You know, we're, we're moving away from a society of free thinkers. To piggyback on what you said, I think uh, more and more people this day and time, if it's not at their front door, they don't really care about it. So this thing about George Floyd and, and police killings and all that, a lot of people they can care less about it. Racism that you, you see uh the systematic racism that mainly affects black people it, you know we're we're only what 10 11 13 percent of the population so you can have a lot of people is like well it, it doesn't really matter to me because it hasn't come to my front door or something similar and honestly it, it is a it is a statement when you think about how we are as a society because it could change tomorrow it could be like even something, and, and I'm not making light of this, but it could be aliens coming down and we're abducted. And some people are like, well, it hasn't happened to me yet. And I'm like, well, it, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a tragic thing. And you've been totally brainwashed by society and the media to us to have several streams of thought and, and nothing outside of that gets in or out. Well, Marvin, let me ask you, since especially you're on the production side, um, do you see this? Although I, I guess you're producing music, and so it's it's probably not necessarily the financial side. But um, do you see the the sort of corporatization of music that the like really? I mean, it's always sort of been corporate, or at least in my lifetime, corporate. Um, but it really seemed to clamp down in the '90s, and I think that probably had to do with Nirvana uh, on the rock side, and probably like Public Enemy and KRS-One on the rap side. Uh, and it seems as though the corporations really like clamped down and decided, yeah, you know what? We're going to go with um, bubblegum music. Uh, and we're going to go with really rap music that uh, portrays not the politics so much as the gangsta side. Um, do you think that yeah. if, if that's true, and I don't know that you guys agree with me, but if that's true, um, do you think that that plays a role in what we're seeing? Yeah. So I'm saying that you think about society as a whole, Facebook, Twitter, uh, not necessarily LinkedIn, Instagram. You know, with all this stuff going on, they're constantly tightening the screws on everybody when it comes to censorship. 
and, and, and that is very challenging. This is what I'm saying. It all ties together. You can see like little bits and pieces every now and then, but yeah, absolutely to your point. Yeah. I mean, we're constantly being censored or constantly being led to think a certain way or be a certain way. And it's very, very problematic for society um, as a whole. So I'll leave it at that to, to answer your question directly. And either of you, and, and really, I guess more to Kristen, this question, have you seen people, white people, white fans of yours, who uh, have responded um, in a negative way to your speaking out about Black Lives Matter, for instance, um, where they might not even know that they're being racist in some weird way. Like I have a friend who's, um, you know, a muckety muck in, uh, in fitness in New York and she's black and she presents herself in a way that she thinks is, you know, sort of the safest way you can be being a, a black woman, uh, trying to teach white people and has built this following. But even those people, uh, say to her when she mentions anything about Black Lives Matter, I don't feel comfortable with you using that language. I don't feel safe with that type of thing. This is what they tell her. Mm-hmm. Have you been hearing this kind yeah. of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have not only I've not only heard it. I've been attacked uh, in our music community. To be quite honest with you, I cannot tell you the type of trauma that I've been through this past month and a half. I cannot tell you the kind of stress I've been through in the past month and a half. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 and, you know, I'm so sorry um, about your friend um, because yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a very uncomfortable conversation, but Jeremy, here's the thing. They don't have to have conversations with their children about how to act when you go out of the house so they can come back alive at night. I mean, the conversations that they're having pale in comparison to what we've had to do every single day in our families and black families. And that is a fact. On the other side of that, I mean, you know, there are people who have said, you know, I don't really get into politics, but I'm going to post about George Floyd. I'm like, this isn't, and I get what they're saying. I get it. But this isn't, this isn't, it is about that. Of course, it's always about that. But it isn't about that. And and I, I challenged them, um, and we're going to have a conversation this week, but I challenged them, why now are you just coming forward when I've been nothing but vocal since 2014 about Eric Ghana and Freddie Gray in 2015 in Baltimore, and none of you said anything, and you didn't want to have the conversation then, and you barely want to have it now. So tell me why now you want to have it. They don't really have a viable answer. And... I think that for me, and, and I tell people this, I'm like a black first, I'm a woman second, and I'm a musician third. So whatever order you think, however you think I'm portrayed to you in whatever order, the fact is, is that I'm black first. My parents and my father being a black musician for 50 years had to fight so hard just to be recognized. And my father was a child prodigy of guitar at seven. And, you know, the kind of racism that my father and my uncles went through and that we were talking to one of my uncles yesterday, you know, he, he is um, 87 years old and he is so hoping for change. But he is a man at 87 years old who is hoping for change because he hasn't seen it in his lifetime. And he has had to deal with the same things that my father had to deal with because um, he was my dad's brother and my dad's bass player. And, you know, talking to my mother-in-law, 
Marvin's mother, who's 73 years old, the things that they have seen is really not much. I mean, we haven't progressed. And when you think about these conscious musicians who, you know, who are white, who are supposedly my friends and the things that they have said to me, I am no longer friends with half of them. I've deleted them because number one, it's not my job to educate you, number one. But number two, if you're calling yourself my friend and you are a conscious creator and you're not talking about these issues, then shame on you. You know, um, I I do want to add a layer to this and I'm going to put on my coach's hat because um, I'm mainly a coach too. And, you know, when I think about it and I think about, well, you think about it several, several, several weeks ago, George Floyd was alive Mm -hmm. and people were sitting around and doing what they would normally do. And then all of a sudden you have this happen. And then so society is forcing a change. Change is the hardest. If I was a smoker and someone just came and snatched it out of my hands and said, you know what, this is bad for you no more. I mean, you have to think about what people are going through. Some people have just been doing things the way they've been doing and have been really, really happy the way society is right now. And I say to them, it's like, well, at some point society had to change because you can't have... Uh, an uneven plethora of things that are going on, right? And so you got people that are looking at this from perspectives like, well, damn, I got to change here. And, and that's difficult for them. They're like, you know, I got to think different. And now it's like, I have to be a little uncomfortable, right? But you think about it. Anything that happens for, for change to really stick, you have to be a little uncomfortable. And I think this is the way society is now. And people, they're going to have to get on board one way or another because at some point, you can stay rigid in your own paradigms right now, but long-term, it's not going to do well for you. And that's for everybody out here on on their thinking and how they do things because this is where we're at now. And, you know, four weeks ago, if someone said, well, I went to this place and I was profiled, the first thing people would say is that, okay, stop playing the race card. People exactly. people were using that statement like it was going, going out of business, right? And now people are like taking an inventory of like, wow, maybe what people are saying were right. And I think this is where we're at right now. Yeah, and I, I think also um, this, this gets to uh, one area of white privilege that white people don't really seem to know <laughs> or acknowledge at all, which is our, our right and privilege to get fatigued and change our mind or change our interest. Oh, can you stop talking about that now? We get it already. You know, it's yeah, like, right. oh, this isn't real in my life. Therefore, it's not real at all. So I was just paying lip service to this because, you know, I felt something for a minute. Well, I'm not feeling it anymore. Therefore, it's not real anymore. I mean, really, there is a sort of missing introspection to all of this. Um, yeah at least on our part, on the part of white people. Um, I, I'm sure other races too, but you know, we're the ones, uh, we're the ones doing this. We're the ones who've set up this society and all of that. So it's on us uh, to do something about this along with everyone else. Um, but I guess getting, sticking back with music deep, do, do you find it odd? Like, not, like even none of the sort of, hippy dippy trippy people from the 60s and 70s the musicians the folk singers the the rockers they haven't done anything either 
I mean, is it just simple? Is that a type of fatigue? Like, well, we did our part back then. Now it's time for the young people to take over. Um, or were they just sort of disingenuous all along? I mean, do, do you have a sense of that, either of you? Yes, I'm, I'm going to speak for like just one minute. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this thing pretty hard. Absolutely. They were, they were thought of as, as being earthy and really involved in people causes and all that, but they were never specifically aligned with certain streams of thought, right? And, but, but they were still stuck in how they were. You know, the problem is, man, and I'm not going to, I don't have a whole lot of time to go to right now. It's just an unconscious bias. People still, they see with their eyes and, 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 and they're used to doing things which they normally do. And so I think if I, if I was going to put something on it, I would say, yeah, they were probably a little disingenuous or it could be some fatigue, but I just think people, if you're not going through it, you, you, you're sometimes not relatable to what happens to um, us as black people. Mm -hmm. And also I think, you know, when COVID, um, when this pandemic happened, we saw a lot of older musicians, um, particularly 70 and older saying that they can't survive um, because they can no longer work because of the pandemic. And I think that, Maybe some of the voices have been muted through the Black Lives Matter movement because right now, according to what they're saying publicly, is that, you know, they can't even pay their bills. And I think that, again, if it doesn't affect you directly, then there is going to be, um, you know, some disingenuous type of feelings. Um, and so even prior to George Floyd, you know, we're dealing with this pandemic. And I think a lot of that has come into play. But if you're again, if you're saying, you know, you know, that, you know, we love one another and, you know, we're, we're here to uplift the human race. It's like, if you're not uplifting everyone in the human race, then you're not uplifting anyone in the human race. Well, you know, and, and this, um, in, in that, I, I want to say this, this is the thing that we have to be careful of. We have to be very careful of, um, if someone has an opposing viewpoint, perhaps they're not educated. It, it may not always be that they're just um, downright racist, right? Because we don't know what they did the day before, and they could have just saved somebody from an accident. They could have done many things. So we, we, we have to be careful. We have to be careful where um, we still need to have dialogue. Because I, I can promise you, what you see in the media is a small portion of society right now. You're not taking the vast majority of people who are having dialogue one because people don't want to be labeled as being racist. You got some people that don't want to address their unconscious bias. Yeah. So you, you have a plethora of things, but honestly, here's the thing I always say as adults, we need to communicate because you can't legislate um, love and you can't legislate people coming together and it takes the work of people to do it. And it's almost an easy way out to say either Democrats or Republicans got to do it. The, our politicians in office, they need to take this on and solve it. No, we got to solve this. And the only way we're going to do that is where people are being heard, people are being listened to, people are being respected, and people come together and move this thing forward. If not, we're, we're even more trouble than what you see right now. Well, it, I guess... This is really the question. What does moving forward look like? 
You know, that's a great question. I mean, we certainly don't have all the answers, but again, I would say that it starts in the home. What kind of conversations, uh, and, and I can just tell you that um, I went to my friend's house last week and she's white and she has to address her family being racist and she was in tears and she's like, I know it. She goes, and I have to address it. It starts in the home. I think that that's, you know, obviously um, that's, that's the gatekeeper to it all. Um, if you're not teaching in the home, if you're not educating in the home, then what are you doing? And I think that, you know, a lot of people, you know, of course, um, are reading white fragility and different books of that matter. But, you know, I gave my friends books from W.E.B. Bois. I mean, I- I've educated them. I've given them books on Ida B. Wells, you know, not just the trendy books of what's happening right now. It has to go further than that. And they were so grateful. And then they pass those books along um, to their family members. And I, again, you know, it, it, it has to start there. It's, it's those conversations. How do you, how do you teach your children? What are you teaching your children? Are you allowing your kids to play with black dolls? That is something that um, some of my white friends uh, do. They want their children um, to understand that there are all colors of the rainbow, but there aren't a lot, a lot of white people that I know that have their children, um, particularly with girls, playing with black dolls. Why is that? So it starts in the home. We, we, I, I guess that would be part of moving forward. In addition to that, I just, I think that, you know, I just, I don't know, Jeremy, I I think that the responsibility lies on everybody, but again, this is a white systemic system. So we have to have the courageous conversations with our local politicians, the people that are, that are really on the ground, because, you know, everybody's talking about the presidential election. Very little people are talking about local elections. What's happening locally? What are you doing in your communities? Are you trying to get together with people? Are you going to minority outreach symposiums? Are you talking to the principals about diversity in your children's school? I mean, this is where it starts. Are you talking to the soccer coaches, you know, about, you know, how many kids of a certain races are being benched? How are you trying to come together? And I, I guess I would say it starts there. Well, I also think moving forward, I think it has a lot to do with um, uh, equal opportunities for everybody. That's true. Honestly, because I, I think at the end of the day, um, you can't just have, say, one race, white people. We we know the issues, right? We don't need to keep talking about the systemic problems and the privilege and all that. That's really not for me to solve, nor does it. I mean, that's something that I, I think people need to be creative and come up with their solutions. I would think from my lens, I think it's equal opportunities, honestly, because I, I don't want it to be like, well, you know what? You, you've done this, you've created this system. And if you have an opposing view of me, you're racist. I don't want to go down that path. I really don't because the problem is, is that I don't want to go out here and shame anybody who's not a certain way or even tilt them that way. I really think when you think about next steps, I think there's an equal opportunity portion that we have to address. And that's access to capital. That's access to opportunities. I I think those things, if you open it up, I I think it would make for a better society. I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is that we have to continue to have spirited dialogue 
which I think is, is critically important. And I think the third thing is accountability. So we, we put the spirited conversations. How often are we going to have? Who are we going to have them with? I think when you think about the, the economic point of, of um, equal opportunities, I think there has to be a measurement there. And, and for me, probably I'm wearing it from the, the coaches and operations standpoint hat that, you know, if you do it in those sequential steps, or even not necessarily sequential steps, then you'll be able to, to, to move forward or like next steps. But you can't, you can't have all just emotions where people are like are legislating, well, no more hate and all this. It's just not going to work because somebody could wake up one day with all the love in their heart, wake up the next day with all the hate in their heart. Yeah, and Jeremy um, just wanted to share with you as well that we have an um, organic and a non-GMO cosmetic clean beauty brand. And the beauty industry about three uh, weeks ago started a movement called Pull Up for Change. And the Pull Up for Change movement was started um, by um, a woman, um, her name is Sharon Shooter, who owns Uma Beauty because we are not seeing fair representation of black people being hired in senior VP positions to executive positions to the boards. And this is a crucial movement for us in the beauty space because we have a lot of beauty brands who they use our black faces, they use our style, they use everything, but they don't want to be us and they don't want to pull up for us. Um, And since we're in the clean beauty space, there is very little diversity um, in the clean beauty space. And uh, Marvin and I have been really fortunate that we have had some brands um, that have given us a seat at the table uh, and we've had interviews with them and we've talked about diversity in the clean beauty space. And we're one of, we're one of, um, we're one of the black owned clean cosmetic brands where we do have a voice now because we've been given a seat at the table. And that's what we, that's what we need. We need seats at the table because you know, we we didn't find products um, that really could fit all of our skin tones from lighter hues to deeper hues in the melanated space. We have to ask, why is that? Um, and so this movement that was forged out of the beauty community has now been extended to all corporations. So um, if you go on Instagram, pull up for change, they have corporations like Apple and Nike and Microsoft. So now it's been extended to all corporations and we're seeing very little people at the top. Some of these beauty brands have zero black employees across the board. And one of these brands is so huge. I have purchased um, from them um, way back in the day. I mean, when you're talking about zero employees, they have none. And you have millions and millions of followers. You have, you know, millions of people buying your products and you have zero black employees. What does that tell you? Yeah, and that's the hmm. that was one of the pillars that about was um, you know uh, fair opportunity and then a- accountability. Well, let me ask you, uh, I don't know about what you're seeing in the streets, I guess, um, because even in terms of the makeup industry, you're saying sort of one person noticed this, and well, I mean, a lot of people noticed it, but one person sort of started doing something about it, and then it sort of snowballed into a movement. And it seems like there's a lot of that going around. Uh, maybe even since Occupy Wall Street, where there's no 
star speaker. There's no star figure. There, you know, there's not a Martin Luther King coming out of this, as far as we know, or a Malcolm X, as far as we know. It just seems to be people. Is that a good thing, or is that uh, ultimately easier to um, disperse? Do you think if there's no if if there is no leadership? Hmm. That's a really great question. I, I mean, I don't think we need a leader, honestly. Um, I hate to say it because you just don't know. I mean, everything's so polarized now. I mean, honestly, because you take some organizations, they're backed by another organization. And you, and, and if you look at the, like, their mission statement and what they're after, those other organizations, how can you trust their main organization? So it's, it's, it's all, everything's so like polarized now and people are so easily steered into a certain direction, either one way or another. And so you have to think about their intentions. So you get halfway through backing these people, right? And next thing you know, you find out that they was all about what they needed. And so you almost have to, I almost like to start out with accountability just to, Hey, what is your purpose? Where are you going after? And, 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 and can I read and see what you've done? Because I mean, we, we've been down this path before. We've definitely been down this path before where you got people who are supposed to be leaders and they lead themselves to the delicacies that matter to them the most. And that's it. I agree. 100%. I mean, I almost wonder if it's not a, in a sense, you know, if I'm going to be cups half full for a minute, um, that we're growing up, that we don't actually need leaders because we do know right from wrong here. And so it's just a matter of meeting up and, and doing something about it now uh, where people maybe are mature enough to, uh, to organize protests because it's the right thing to do and not because someone told them to or, you know, any of that, or they had to go and listen to speeches to get riled up and care. Um, maybe right. we're just at that point. Maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Well, I think through the um, advent of social media and other, and other electronic measures, I think people can easily be steered a little bit more. And when I say that, I, I think I think you're I think you're on the on the money. I think people have an opportunity to be free thinkers and express themselves. They don't need to wait for a leader to express their viewpoint because they can do it themselves. And I think more and more people are doing that. So, in some ways, having one leader to do everything for everybody is such an antiquated model that I don't, I don't really think. Um, I, I really don't think services. And then, honestly, I'd love to see more women, their voices heard and what they do, because I, I think they add a little something different than what men offer. I mean, if if I was there, I, I would say that's probably my my best course of action. So I guess we're saying um, maybe we don't need leaders in this, but we definitely need those who have a platform who have a, a, a pulpit, really, um, to speak up and to acknowledge the problem and to acknowledge that they care enough to do something about it. Um, is is that kind of it, Kristen? Is that your? Is that what you want to see? Yeah, that's exactly what I want to see. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said 
you know, the problem. I don't think enough people have acknowledged the problem. Mm-hmm. That's that's the issue. And if you don't acknowledge the problem, then how can you be part of this? Uh, but yeah, um, you know, you're on the money. I, I totally agree. But again, how many people are really acknowledging the problem? How many people are really looking that deeply to acknowledge the problem? How many people are really looking at the fact that this isn't really about George Floyd? It's about the whole system. How many people are acknowledging that that has been the problem? You know, you 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 have a lot of people, um, and I'll, again, I'll speak to I'll speak to our music community. You have a lot of people that are throwing these quotes up. They're throwing up Martin Luther King. They're throwing up this. They're throwing up that. But you know what? So many people hated Dr. Martin Luther King. Don't get it twisted. And, and you know, you, you're just putting these endless quotes up, and yet you're not acknowledging the problem. And that's why I challenged uh, some people publicly and privately saying, you know what, you're putting up these quotes, but what exactly do you mean? And, again, it's, it's you know, well, all lives matter. And I'm like, don't go there with me. Do not go there with me. I can't, I can't continue to have that conversation because you're not acknowledging the fact that we don't matter period to you. Um, and, and again, it goes back to acknowledging the problem. We, we need people with platforms, certainly, but if you're not going to acknowledge the problem that has been at hand for centuries, then really, what are you saying when you throw those quotes up and what are you meaning? You know, it's one of these things where I think, I think there's a lot of shock out there. I think there's a lot of shock where you're like, wow, were you just tolerating me because maybe you thought this is the right thing to do, but when it comes time to you thinking that we're equal or we just, um, we can, you know, we're just being human. Let's just pull this back a second. Just being human. You saw someone die, but the first thing that goes to your mind, well, he was probably already a thug. Mm-hmm. And, and you see this so often. Man, I, I saw a post today, and people were talking about what George Floyd did, and, and it was all about defunding the police, right? And I, I thought there were two separate issues because I'm like, what if that grandmother that that happened to? You would you would think a whole lot differently. I mean, what what if it was your daughter or your son coming home or something else or somebody that was most vulnerable in your family? What if it was somebody in a wheelchair, a police officer choked out or something? Would you think differently? And I'm like, do you really think that we're just a subhuman type of species that um, deserve what we get? I don't know. I think there's a little bit of that because uh, and I, I think where, whether they were talking at home or scared somewhere else, I, I just think this is brought. And I think really, and I would speak for Kristen on this too. I think by the things we, we, we talked about these companies, when we talked about people as general, I think we're overall surprised on both levels why people have voiced their opinion, but there's still this majority, really silent majority that just sitting on their hands and just waiting for it to blow over. Yeah, I agree. 